Hey, everybody, it's Brian Dunstan once again, joined by Keith Reedon on episode 10 of the Puck and Hoop podcast. So this podcast can be a little bit different. Rather than start with news and notes, we decided to take a look back at some of the things we spoke about in the early portion of our podcast season, particularly through episodes one and two, when we looked ahead to where teams were going to be, who was going to do what, and how things were going to fare in the 22-23 Puck and Hoop seasons. So uh, with 2020-2022 almost wrapping up, and we're at the midpoint in both puck and hoop seasons, or at least approaching it, this is a good time to do just that. So I don't know about you, Keith, but I think that uh, I'd like to start with basketball and see just what some of the things we talked about earlier and how they have played out. And what better place to start than with the Brooklyn Nets, who we thought would be dynamic or dysfunctional. And they've kind of been both to this point in the season. Yeah, I definitely think they've been both. Uh, they, We couldn't foresee the whole Kyrie Irving um, fiasco when we did our first uh, and second podcast, but that was the dysfunction that we were talking about. And, you know, the, the Nets looked like they had the potential to fall off the map without Kyrie. And, you know, before Kyrie came back and apologized, and now... As we've seen in the last, you know, five, six, seven games, the Nets are surging. And not just uh, with, because they've got Kyrie Irving back. Uh, they've got, you know, the Seth Currys of the world back. They've got, uh, uh, you know, their, some of their other players, some of their other shooters uh, back. And so the Nets now look to be, and, you know, and of course the incomparable KD is firing on all cylinders. The Nets look to be dynamic at this point in the season, at least in my opinion, Brian. No, no question. They they have turned their season completely around once they've gotten a uh, close to a semblance of a full roster. Uh, with, although Ben Simmons has been out of the lineup for the last few games, they have got Joe Harris back. They have got Seth Curry back. They have got their outside shooting game working and, and full effect. And that was the thing that we thought would be very scary about this team, is that once they get that shooting, and you have the Kevin Durant, well, this is going to be a very good offensive team. Now, they haven't set the three-point record for most points, most three-pointers in the game like I said they would yet, but I see that coming soon, man, the way they're playing. They're, they're a team that likes to shoot the ball. Their offense is really starting to percolate. And as we look at the uh, standings right now, what are they, fourth in the Eastern Conference at they're this fourth. point? Yeah, they're in the top yeah. four. They're in the top four where we kind of thought they'd be. They'd be. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. And what I find, you know, in, not interesting, but what we expected with their dynamism is the fact that they've got two closers. That, uh, you know, and you, you saw it against the Raptors uh, earlier in this week that, you know, KD will defer uh, when he needs to and let Kyrie Irving close the game. And that's really dangerous that you've got, either of these guys who can take over down the stretch. Yeah, well, well, that's the Brooklyn Nets, and they have definitely been uh, or morphed into being dynamic and stayed away from being too dysfunctional. Uh, another thing we talked about earlier in our podcast season was the Boston Celtics and the fact that the coaching yeah. change would be a problem for them. They'd have to fight their way through the early part of the season. Well, 
we were flat out wrong about that. They have not fought their way through the early part of the season. They have pretty much been uh, running great guns since day one. They currently sit second in the Eastern Conference behind the surging Milwaukee Bucks. But for the better part of this early part of the season, the Boston Celtics were the best team in the NBA, Keith. Yeah. You know what? Maybe uh, they they had a culture that, you know, the NBA is a weird, not a weird sport, but the NBA is a sport where the players can sometimes set the culture. And I think maybe Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, th- their maturity level, they've both been in the league for, what, four or five seasons now. Their maturity level is such that they could keep that culture going. Um, you know, the defensive part of their game is bang on. They've had, you know, long, hey, they were in first place in the East for a long stretch. You know, the Bucks mm-hmm. are, the Bucks are kind of, uh, I think the Bucks and them are sort of tied, you know, that way, way, strange NBA games behind. They both have the same amount of games behind, but the Celtics have played more games, so Milwaukee's ahead percentage-wise. But Jason Tatum, I mean, Jason Tatum is playing like a top five guy in the NBA right now. I don't, I don't think that there's any question about that. So, you know, they've got the leadership and the defense and the coaching seems to just have been just rolled, just rolled. So do you think they're going to see uh, image? You think they're going to see him back? I, I know that's a question for the end of the year, but I had said if the Celtics are playing, you know, like great ball, that that would be it. You're not going to see him coming back. So. I mean, well, there was no yeah. doubt in my mind that he was never going to be coaching in the, in Boston for the Celtics uh, again. Not this season, not next season, not anytime soon. There was just they were just trying to find a good enough reason to not bring him back after the suspension. Well, they've got that now uh, with Joe Mazzulla taking this team back to the heights where they were last season. Um, there's no reason to even think about Ime Udoka anymore. And that has to be a sigh of relief for the Boston Celtics organization. And for that matter, for the NBA, who won't have to deal with this uh, controversy surrounding Udoka's uh, uh, lapse with the Boston Celtics. So that's one uh, one other thought that we had that didn't uh, bear fruit. But hey, you know what? As much as I dislike the Celtics, I'm kind of glad that they've had a great start to the season. Because uh, it was a tough thing that happened to the organization, losing their coach just scant weeks before the season began. But um, they certainly have hit the ground running and look like they're going to be a force all the way to the playoffs this year. Now, another team that we talked about a lot, quite a bit in our early podcast season, were the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And they are who we thought they were. They've had a bit of a surge in the in the mid part of the the last couple of weeks, but they're pretty much settled into where we thought they'd be, and that's uh, right around 12th spot in the Western Conference. Look on the outside looking in right now, Keith. So uh, i, I got to be honest with you, Brian. I thought that they would actually be a bit better than this. I thought that they would probably be in the bottom half of, you know, of the top eight battling for uh, the play-in game, and I, I thought they would go as uh, – as LeBron goes, and I mean, LeBron's actually having, uh, when he does play, he's, uh, and I'm saying this because he came to Toronto and sat out, which really annoyed me, but when he does play, he's he's playing great basketball. I mean, it's they their lack of outside shooting. I mean, I just don't think that that can be, that can be overcome on a night-to-night basis, you know? 
Like they, no. they, they just don't have it. I watch, you know, I watch a few games and it is just like, you know, routinely they're 25% from three. And that's, to me, that's where they're, that's where they're losing. That's where they're losing their games. And of course, Anthony Davis is in and out of the lineup. He was playing fantastic ball. Some of the best balls since they won the championship. Uh, what is it? Three seasons ago. He was playing some mm-hmm. of the best ball that I, I've seen him play. And then, of course, now the other day he goes out with a, a foot injury that uh, might keep him out. I, I think I saw recently today that it's going to keep him out for at least a couple of weeks now. So, you know, they had LeBron playing the center position, uh, you know, the other night. So, yeah, the Lakers, they're, they're actually, I have to be honest with you, they're, they're worse than I thought that they would be. Yeah, well, you know, what can you do when your best player doesn't stay in the game uh, for as long as you need him to be? And that's a problem that uh, Anthony Davis is going to have to overcome. And if he doesn't, this Lakers season is pretty much cooked as far as I'm concerned. Now, another team that we thought would have a great start to the season has really struggled out of the blocks and currently find themselves in the 11th spot in the Western Conference, and that is the defending champion Golden State Warriors, who just finished hammering the Toronto Raptors. We'll get on to the Raptors when we talk about the, the Raps in our, in, our, in our hoop section. But the Golden State Warriors are struggling two games below 500. Seth Curry, sorry, Steph Curry is out with a sh- minor shoulder separation. Um, they are struggling mightily to start this season. And um, right now, as we sit here, Keith, they're on the outside looking in at the play-in game. Yeah, you know, it's uh, not surprising, but somewhat surprising for a team that's outside, on the outside looking in. Do you know what the, their home record is? 12-2. and 12-2. Two. Yeah, and but two. That, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, that just means, you know, to me, that means they can win in comfortable surroundings at home. Well, you no, know? what and, it means is they're terrible on the road. Oh yeah, they're they are. Two and four. Well, now they're three and fourteen because they just beat the Raptors. But three and what do they say? It, in order to be successful in professional sports, you have to be seventy-five percent or better at home and fifty percent or better on the road. They are three and fourteen on the road. I mean, just look. You can have as good a home record as you want. If you lose, if you only win less than ten percent of your games on the road, you're not making the playoffs. And that's where the Golden State Warriors find themselves right now. The fact that they are 2-14 and 14 on the road at this juncture of the season, I, I find that shocking. For, for pretty much the entirety of the Steph Curry uh, uh, period in Golden State, they have been not just a good road team, they've been the, probably the best road team in the NBA. And this season, at 3-14, at and 14, I, I'm shocked at their performance to this point in the season. Shocked. You know what? There's no yeah. reason for it. Well, I think one of the reasons for it is at the beginning of the year, they really, really wanted to integrate their young guys into the lineup. You know, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, who are 20-year-olds, James Weissman, How's who's that 21. Go? It didn't go well. I mean, James Weissman <laughs> spent more time, <laughs> more time in the G League than he spent, you know, in the NBA. And, you know, it, it is funny. Like, at I'd say the first four or five games that I saw, they were really trying to integrate uh, Kaminga and, and Moody, and their their minutes have just gone south since then. You know that you're seeing more of the Dante Divincenzo's stepping up than you are seeing those guys. 
Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe 20 years old, limited playing time, uh, it, it's just a little too much for them. But I, I think that was the real issue, trying to integrate these guys, get them meaningful meaningful minutes. And, you so know, the Warriors. Here, here, here's a question for you then. Uh, the young guys not being integrated fully into the lineup. Uh, Steph Curry's gone for a t- couple, maybe three weeks. Yes, with the shoulder, shoulder. separation. Yeah. Can the Warriors turn their season around, not just to get into the playoffs, but get into the play-in game? Is that a possibility for them? You know what? I think it's a possibility because, you know, they've got that 12-2 and two home, home record. Those home wins, those wins at home are almost a given for them. I don't know why. I don't know why they've got that great record. But, And I think the, the one thing is, the experiment of putting the young guys in right now, with Steph, Steph is out and they're still going with the guys that they're going with. So they're leaning heavily on, you know, I'll say young veterans instead of the young guys. Obviously, Jordan Poole, um, you know, he's only 23. Dante DiVincenzo, they're leaning heavily on those guys. And I think that once the bench is going to be shortened and the amount of guys they use are shortened, they'll start winning on the road. Interesting thing about them, Brian, is I know their road record is terrible, but I've seen them lose more close games on the road. And I'm talking within five points on the road. Then, you know, they're they're not going to places and getting blown out. They're losing close games. So if these guys are learn how to be closers when Steph isn't there and, and emerge as a secondary closer, because Steph's always going to be their closer. If they can get one of these guys emerging as a secondary closer, by the time Steph comes back, I think you're going to start seeing them win those close games on the road. Well, that certainly has been a bugaboo for them this uh, to this point in the season, uh, not being able to close out games, even with Steph Curry in the lineup. And I'm, it's, Keith, I, I admire your optimism in this in the in the sense <laughs> that you think the Golden State Warriors are going to turn it around on the road. But I just look at that record, three and fourteen on the road. And I don't know. I think that they've got something that's in their heads and it's impacting the way they play or the way they go about their business on the road. Uh, so if they can turn it around, good luck to them. But man, I, I, I'm unsure. I am, And I haven't said that about the Warriors in, what, seven, eight years that I'm unsure about them. So that's, that's where I stand with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, last season sure, especially, right? Yeah, last season especially, people thought, you know, eh, there's no way they can compete uh, because of the year they had before when Steph, again, was injured. Um, and look at what they did. I'm not expecting them to win another championship uh, or win this year, like win the championship. But, yeah, I expect them to figure it out. Um, I, I don't think they're going to – I think if they can climb to even a four, a 40% forty percent winning on the road, if they can do that, they're going to be competitive. And that's what you asked. I think they're going to be competitive for that play-in spot. All I right, really well, speaking do. Speaking of figuring it out, uh, let's figure out if our prognostications or suppositions about puck to start the season have borne fruit. And I think the best place to start with that is to look at what we said was the best move by any executive in the offseason. And that was uh, Calgary, Tre- Calgary Flames G- general manager Brad Tree Living uh, being able to resurrect his franchise, so to speak, by trading for Jonathan Huberto and uh, Uyghur, the defenseman. And that was supposed to make them, as I thought, a better team than they had 
with Matthew Kachuk and John and uh, Johnny Johnny Hockey Johnny Goudreau because it looks like I was dead wrong about the Flames <laughs> being a better team. They're not on 111 point pace like they were last season. They are struggling. Yeah, the Flames are struggling, and uh, Jonathan Uberdo is, you know, it's it's funny. He's not getting the points, but I, I've watched a few Flames games where. He's one of the better players on the ice, but he just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem to be translating into point production for him, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in that I love it when, you know, the when Edmonton is good and Calgary is good um, in the West, it makes it more interesting for me. But, yeah, I, I don't know why Uberdo has fallen off uh, his his pace so much. What did he get last year? Like 115 points, 118 points? Yeah, I think points? it was 115 points. Uh, uh, you know, a marvelous passer, a tremendous vision on the ice. And I think that what he's talked about in interviews and in uh, media scrums is getting used to the way that Calgary wants to move the puck uh, rather than the way he was moving it in Florida. He's not seeing the ice the way he did, and he has to adjust. Uh, midway through the season, almost, um, as the year draws to a close, he's got to find a way to, I guess, integrate his game into the Flames' way of playing. And he, uh, frankly, he struggled with that, and he's admitted that. Yeah, I mean, the fl- <laughs> 13 wins. The Flames have 13 wins at this point in, in 31 games. I mean, that's unreal. It's unbelievable to me. Uh, you know, yeah. they're they're just over a 500 hockey team. And in the Pacific, they're like, they're, you know, they're they're behind, they're behind Seattle by four points in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, so. now let's not throw Huberto completely under the bus as it's all his fault, because Jakob Markstrom, who was probably, what, the second or third best goalie in the league last year, has been woefully inconsistent for the Flames. And uh, they're just not getting the goaltending that really was their, not to be punished, but that the goaltending was their backstop last year. They had great goaltending throughout the whole entirety of the season, and that's not been the case this season. Yeah, last year he had an unreal, you know, unreal save percentage. This year he's a, you know, he's a 500 goalie, and he's... uh, his save percentage. I, I know you don't always look at the numbers, but he's like <laughs> eight nine two save percentage from like what was he last year? Like nine thirty to eight nine two this year. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of uh, that's a big drop off. And what was it? A couple was it about a week ago where he he came out and he said, "Hey, look, I suck right now. Like this is sure. your number one. This is your number one goalie, right?" And he was like, "Well, he did. I'm just he, not he was just well. telling the truth." Yeah, he's just I know. Telling but, the truth. but you know, yeah, he's sure he's telling the truth. But you know, that also to me that looks like a you know a lack of confidence. And you know, there's you know no position in pro sports can you really perform if you're not confident. But NHL goalkeeper must be at the very top of the list that you need to have confidence and sharpness. And not yeah, just physically, yeah. but in your mind. You know, Keith, I've heard, I've heard uh, other people talk about this when goalies come out and and are very negative about their own performance when their performance is lacking. And and to me, I don't mind it because it's not to me. It doesn't show a lack of confidence. To me, it shows a 
a fully aware and evolved person who can talk about their performance in the true way that it needs to be and is necessary. And just because they're willing to do it in front of the media now, maybe that's something that people have to get used to because this type of thing wasn't very much talked about in front of the media, you know, in previous generations. But now the current athlete, hey man, they're willing to share. And and from, from my point of view, I don't mind it. I don't think a player, the stature of a Markstrom, is worried about his confidence. He may be worried about his performance, and I'm sure that him coming out and saying, I suck right now, that's not an indication of his confidence. It's an estimation of his own performance, and he's just being truthful. Now, here's a question for you, and I just took a quick look at his numbers. Last season, nine shutouts, 922 save percentage, 222 goals against average. All career bests. On all career bests by far, 37 wins in 63 games, career best. Now, and, and, and just to, um, to let you know, we're, we're comparing apples to apples. He, he's had 60-plus starts in his career previous, and his best win total before was, tw- was 28. Uh, you know, this last year, was that the aberration? Or is this the average? Like this year, it's pretty much his worst numbers in a decade. But last year were, were the best numbers he's had ever in his career across the board. Was that an aberration? So what's that old saying? You're, you're never as good as when you're going great, and you're never as bad as when you're going lousy. It's usually somewhere in between those extremes. And that's probably where Jakob Markstrom will land. Look, there's no question he's a quality tender. Um is he a Vesna worthy goaltender, as we saw last year? Maybe. Could be. Probably is. But is he the worst goaltender in the league, like he's, his numbers would have you uh, believe right now? No, I don't think so. So somewhere between those two extremes lies where Markstrom will land. And I think that's where exactly what Calgary wants. Look, Calgary's got a great defense. Uh, haven't played like it much this season, but they do have a pretty darn good defense. If they get their act together, if Markstrom, who in, in the latter couple of weeks has had a couple of games where he's looked pretty good, um, can come to the fore with his game, his performance level at, that we saw somewhat close to last year, then I, I can see Calgary making a move because they're still a very talented team. But as of right now, um, that 111-point pace they had last season, that ain't going to happen. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's <laughs> they, they'd have to play at a historic pace <laughs> for the rest mm-hmm. of the season to get near 111 points. Yeah. But, you know, now, it's, I know, sorry, go ahead. Now, I know we're going to talk about the Leafs later on, but we have since we're talking about things we we mentioned in the in the top of our season of the Puck and Hoop podcast, particularly in episode one, I came out and said that I want to see the Maple Leafs dominate from beginning to to end in order to indicate that they are a team that's worthy of contending for the Stanley Cup. I think I was pretty much wrong about that. Sorry, wrong in in what way? That that uh, they haven't well, they been dominant? They didn't come out and dominate right off the bat, obviously. Yeah. They struggled right out of, out of the blocks. You know, their goaltenders got injured. They lost defensemen. And that's when they turned their season around. But coming yeah, out of, you know, October was the lost month for the Maple Leafs. You know, you can't come out of the blocks and lose four games in a row to sub-500 teams on the West Coast. 
the way the Leafs did and uh, be considered a dominant team. They were certainly not that. So uh, me thinking that they would come out and show that they were that type of team, I was pretty much dead wrong. Yeah, but they were definitely dominating in November. Dominating in Oh, no question they turned their season around. No question. We've seen them uh, put up a, a run of games where they got 50, 15 games in a row with at least a point. Yeah. Um, Mitch Marner had his 23-game point, point scoring streak. Uh, they showed a resiliency and a consistency in all facets of the game that uh, indicates they're going to be a dominant team and can contend for a Stanley Cup. Then, of course, they go out and lose two in a row. But, you know, for the most part, I think we've seen what this Leaf team can be. And uh, we'll get a bit more into that when we talk about the Leafs in, in that section of our podcast. But right now, I want to get back to some of the things we talked about in, in uh, episode one. And uh, let's look at particularly uh, players. And we talked about Ovi and what his uh, season would be like. And I think he's lived up to the billing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, at this point in the season, uh, 20 goals. I mean, you know. And and still unquestionably the leader of the Capitals at age 37. Um, not a surprise. I mean, this guy's a physical marvel, uh, a massive man who who can skate and bring the physical quality uh, to his game, the quote unquote edge. But yet he doesn't seem to get hurt, <laughs> you know. So you know, I, I just keep thinking he's a streaky guy's guy. Made out of so concrete. you know, oh yeah. I, I think he's going to go on another another big streak. I, I mean, I don't foresee 50 goals for him this year, but, uh, you know, mid-40s, definitely. Mid-40s at age 37, uh, that's, you know, ve very impressive. Yeah, and uh, the, the goal markers that he's uh, about to pass, Mr. Hockey for second place all time, uh, which will put him right on pace to track down the great one, Wayne Gretzky, in two more seasons with uh, good and continuous health. So uh, obviously Alexander Ovechkin is not slowing down. And who knows, Keith, because the pace he's on is just under a 50-goal 50 50 season. So he might get another 50-goal season under his belt this year. That's definitely something we'll have to watch in the second half of the season. So, all right, so there you go. That's what we talked about a bit in the, the first couple episodes and how they played out to this point of the season. And with... Uh, the end of the year, just in the next couple of weeks and the midway point of both the puck and hoop season coming, we have a full second half of stuff to talk about and to see if our prognostications come to fruition or not. Coming up next, we'll get right into the Montreal Canadiens. All right, the Montreal Canadiens. Boy, uh... What can we say about them at this point in the season? They have hit, uh, let's just say, a bit of a lull. They came out of the blocks pretty good. You yep. know, a young team fighting their way up in the conference, looking like a team that was going to be a bit of a surprise. But of late, the rest of the league is, I don't know, kind of caught up to them, don't you think, Keith? Yeah, you know what? Or I guess maybe they've, you know, they've started to regress. I mean, I look... Remember, they've got four defensemen that play significant minutes that have never, you know, and that are still in their uh, 20s for, and I mean, a, amount of games that they play in the NHL. Because they have been, you know, they've been rotating 
the defensemen in and out over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, some of these guys have still haven't reached the 30-game mark of NHL experience. And I think that maybe there's beginning to to be a bit of a lull. But my my main concern as a fan is in about four of the last five games, the Habs have only been able to 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 put like 20, 22 shots on that. One game, I think it one game that I watched, uh, I can't remember. I watched last week. They they had 16 shots on net, which which tied their their lowest like you know their Canadians' history. I guess for as long as they've been recording the amount of shots that tied their lowest ever, and I believe it was like 1958 when they had 16 shots in a game. So I mean, some of the punch in the lineup uh, isn't there. I mean, I, it's funny enough because kind of expected a lot of their second line guys and third line guys to do what second line and third line guys do you know I expected at this point you know 30 games in guys would have seven eight goals but you know they've, they've got a lot of guys on that just are not contributing offensively and I think mm-hmm. you know it's a bit it's it's a bit of a shock I mean to me you know that but I mean again Expectations were not high, but you sort of, the expectations have been exceeded by certain people, you know, Cole Caulfield. I mean, he's he's bang on. I don't know if lots of people thought this guy's a 40-goal scorer. He's on that pace right now, you know? Well, I, uh, I think a lot of people picked him to score at least 40 goals. Yeah. Oh, There's he's, no question the guy's and, a sniper. And he's he's doing it. He's on that pace. You know, he got uh, knocked out of the game, one of the game, a game last week, and he's come back as if nothing happened. He's firing, you know, he's he's dangerous every time he's on the ice. He's one of those quick twitch guys that I I really kind of love. He just seems quicker than everybody else, you know. So, and for a little guy, he's he doesn't shy away from the action, which uh, he may have to learn how to. He may have to learn how to, uh, you know, just stay small sometimes and stay away from from getting hit because we really can't afford, and I say we, the Canadians, really can't afford to have him out of the lineup for any significant uh, period of time. So Nick Suzuki. Remember, Brian, I was saying I wasn't sure if this guy, I wasn't sure if he is a true number one center. He has definitely exceeded my expectations, and he's playing night in and night out like a number one center top line guy and not just because he's scoring setting up uh setting up teammates but he's leading you know you get this guy plus he's also doing you know in the shootouts you know he's he's automatic he's cheeky he's confident and it, it, it's great to see it's great to see him him doing that but in the last i say you know the last uh i think i looked the last four or five games the even in wins uh, the Canadians, the you know the max goals that they've scored is like two goals. Um, you know that's not going to win you a lot of hockey game. No question about that. In terms of Suzuki, I just want to say this, and I don't think the Montreal Canadiens organization is in the habit of making mistakes when it comes to big decisions. And uh, your captain is a big decision made by an organization, and it's clear that they certainly did their due diligence and their homework when it when they decided to go with what 23 year old is he 23 he's 23 yeah 23, yeah 23 year old nick suzuki um 
he's proven not just with his ability on the ice, but his ability away from the game to to be a leader of men. And, um, you know, good on the Canadians for putting the mantle on this kid's shoulders because he's borne it well. I'm surprised that they've been able, that the Habs now, have been able to maintain touch with the 500 uh, uh, percentage point mark because you talk about their four young defensemen. You talk about their lack of scoring. You talk about a young captain. This is a young, inexperienced team. And the guys who had the experience, well, a lot of those guys have been injured and coming in out of the lineup. So the fact that at this point in the season, uh, thanks to a three-game losing streak, they find themselves, what, one game under the 500-point mark? Not even. Well, one, po- one point under 500. So, yeah. Yeah, one, well, basically one game under 500. They're 14 and 15 and two. So yes. this is the kind of thing that says maybe they're not exceeding expectations at this point in the season. But when you look back at the entirety of the season, 50 games from now, if they still held up at this point with this kind of percentage points, well, that's exceeding expectations in my book because you can't expect anything more from a group of young and experienced players uh, playing at this level in this league. It's, I'm impressed with them to this point in the season, despite their recent troubles. Yeah, I mean, look, are they point-wise better than people expected? For sure, 100%. But you know what? You can't help and you see the flashes. And I, I'm, I'm really encouraged, extremely encouraged by, you know, the Arbor Jack guys, Caden Gooley's, uh, Jonathan, you know, uh, Kovacevic, uh, Jordan Harris. Like that group of four defensemen, very, very solid, showing flashes offensively and, and defensively. Defensively, not being out of, you know, I, I thought a guy like Arbor Jack guy would be running around trying to hit people, trying to uh, getting out of position trying to, you know, live up to that reputation. But he's been very selective when he when he gets physical. You know, he doesn't take a lot of silly penalties. I mean, this is a guy who's a smart guy. And you know what? He had to work for everything he had. So should have been more expected by someone like me that, you know, to a guy like him would be, you know, has figured it out and tried to figure it out. And, and I'm impressed at this level He's a solid NHL defenseman. You know, he's figuring it out. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed with the decor. Um, goaltending has been, you know, up and down. It's been great at times, and then it's been, you know, it's been not so great. Um, been leaky. But a little bit leaky. It's been leaky at times. Yeah, I, I think you can say leaky. But, you know, they, <laughs> they've also uh, won some two-to-one games, you know? They've also, and that's both, you know, that that's both of them. Like, you know, so the 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 goaltending has been good. I mean, you know, Montumbo the other day wasn't the greatest, but this this guy's had games where he's kept the Canadians in it. And and the yeah, thing is too, it's yeah, not just he, by the numbers. You know, I, you know, I, timely. I, I don't want to go. I don't want to be too negative on the Montreal because, you know, they are who they are basically. And, but to say the goaltending has been good might be a bit of a stretch because they still given up the second most amount of goals in the conference. Um, and they're still 
struggling to put consecutive good games together. And a lot of that's been on the backs of the goaltenders. Now, when you're playing in front of a very young defense, we're going to make mistakes. And you've got your first line is the young first line. The defensive side of the game is the is the toughest part, which is why they've given up so many goals in the first part of this season. But the goaltending at times has let them down too. Now, I know Jake Allen had a 45 uh, save game the other night. That's great. Yeah, it's against been Calgary. The yeah, lack of it's been the lack of consistency at goaltending that's uh, kind of plagued the the Habs a fair bit in the early part of the season. Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they've been consistent. What I'm saying is they have risen to the occasion. They have stolen games, um, but Just yeah, enough. you know, as they they do get outshot on most nights. Um, they do get outchanced on most nights. So, you know, at some point they do get outscored on most nights. Yeah, at some point you're yeah. going to give up you're going to give a you're going to give up some goals, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I am I for one, I'm impressed. I I think that in the last 10 games or so, the goaltending has not been as good as the previous 20, but I fully expect that that goaltending will will not turn around again and and not become a, a strength, but I, I expect a little more consistency. As I was saying to you, where where I'm, you know, kind of looking at you know guys like like Mike Hoffman, six goals. Slavkovsky's got four goals. I'm not you know he's, he's 18 years old, but you know you got you know Gallagher has three goals in 22 in his 22 games. Dodonov has two goals, you know? So, you know, Jake Evans, who had, I believe he had 17 goals last year. He's got zero. I know he's your checker, but, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is in watching the games, he's had the chances. That's the, you know, that's the scary thing. I mean, Jonathan Drouin has got no goals. You know, I that's remember. Not a surprise. Uh, that's not a surprise. Jonathan not, Drouin, he's, he's an empty suit. Not surprising, but remember the uh, remember the movie Animal House, uh, dating our, myself again. Remember the movie Animal House when the dean was sitting there and and he's and he's giving everyone the grade point average and he's like, you know, I feel like giving that Mister Drouin zero goals is no way to go through life. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's frustrating. Remember, this is a guy when he is playing, he's on the top power play unit, right? So. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'd expect not deserving him. is all well, I can say about he, him. He's there, not deserving, Deser- deserving or not deserving, he's there. But to, you know, to be outscored by you know Caden Gooley and Jonathan and uh, Jordan Harris, you know, and Jordan Harris has played you know twenty seven games and had ten points, and for these guys to be outscoring you know forwards who you expected to you know your second and your third line forwards in point totals, quite quite frankly, is disappointing to me. You know? Like, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I totally understand that. All that being said, um, coming into this season, we knew things were going to be difficult for Montreal. But uh, hell, man, they're one game under 500 at almost the midpoint of the season. That's something to to look back and say, well, we've we've done something here. And I think a large part of the credit, if not most of the credit, should go to Mar- Martin St. Louis. Um 
man, I don't think anyone's made a bigger leap as a coach coming from coaching peewee players to coaching NHL players in the history of coaching. And uh, the way he's conducted himself behind the Habs bench. I love listening to this guy's post-game press conferences because he is a he's a truth-sayer. You know, he tells you what happened, tells you why it happened, and tells you what he didn't like about what happened. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. Um, you know, when, when the Habs make their mistakes, and they do make their mistakes, and they show their lack of consistency, he calls them out. And I think it's that much, uh, that's that high a level of accountability that's going to put these young players in good stead in the organization going forward. Like we always talked about when it comes to Montreal throughout this uh, podcast season, Keith, is that the things that Montreal, uh, the players are learning this season is what's going to make them a dynamic team going forward. They're going to grow from this. They're going to get better. And they're going to be able to draw on the experience of going through a season like this where they had to learn the hard way, where they had to go through tough times, where they had to make their mistakes. And they had a coach who was always pointing them forward and saying, you made a mistake. Now, this is what we need to do to repair it. And they're still making the effort. You can't say uh, that Montreal doesn't give a good effort in their games because that's one thing they have been doing. And that, to me, is a credit to the coach. Well, I think it's also... You're able to do that as a coach when, you know, you're you're going in the same direction as the rest of the organization, right? There's no ambiguity in what the Canadians are trying to do. So, you know, plus, I mean, Martin Saint-Louis, he's earned it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though, you know, he was coaching Pee Wee hockey, he's got ultimate credibility with the players. I mean, you know, he played against some of these players that are playing right now. So they know that this this guy was uh, not that he not that he was a star, and he was a star. But He's the a effort, he was a superstar. But the effort, you know, it's hard to not be accountable to a guy that you look at and you know that he made himself into an NHL superstar. So you've got to be accountable to him. And as I said, he's got the full backing of the organization, so he can tell some truth. You know, he he can he can go out there and tell you how it is, you know. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's been other surprises. I mean, he's not a surprise, but he's a, a positive. I, I want to just mention, for me, watching game in and game out, Sean Monaghan has been a real positive. I mean, here's a guy with well, multiple is he, is he back in the lineup yet? No, he's not. But, he, but you know what yeah. I mean? For, for a guy with 17 points in 25 games, after having multiple hip surgeries and basically the Canadians getting him as a throw in and not knowing what he would be. I mean, he's played, uh, you know, second, third, and he's played on the fourth line as a center and he's actually played on the top line as a wing. So he's, he's moved around quite a bit, but you can see that, you know, he is, uh, definitely, uh, a solid NHLer and maybe, you know, maybe a bit of a, a trade chip you know, come March 3rd. So, you know. Maybe a bit of a trade chip. Are you being facetious? <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying maybe. But yeah, you know. You know, and hey, he's still, what is he? He's under 30. And, you know, he's, you know, he's uh, proving that once again that, you know, he's a solid NHLer. So guy like him, I mean, I've been really happy and surprised. And you know what? With uh, Slavkovsky, again, he's only, and I say only, he's only has four goals but there are times when he's out on the ice 
where you just see the flashes. And again, he's another guy like Caulfield that I call, you know, he's a tw- he's a quick twitch guy. And I didn't realize how much, I, I knew he had the great shot, but even passing, getting the pucks, he just seems to have that bit of a burst that, you know, if he can hold up uh, for the, you know, the remaining 50 plus, the remaining 50 games of the season, then I, I think we're going to see more and more from him as he gets more, you know, he's doing second power play minutes, unit minutes. And as he gets more time, we're going to see more and more from this guy. And I think he's been a great surprise. Uh, you know, 18 years old, number one o- overall pick. And, you know, I think he's, and a European guy, which I know uh, it's, you know, we we just know it, it takes them longer uh, to acclimatize to the league. Um, and, you know, a, a European 18-year-old, usually a lot of times those guys stay over for an extra year, you know, or even two. But he is, uh, I think he's a real deal. And we'll see it going forward. Yeah, no question. Looks like they've made the right decision to keep the big rookie with the big team and let him develop in the NHL. Well, that's our look at the, the Montreal Canadiens to this point in the season. Up next, the once red-hot Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, the Toronto Maple Leafs fashioned a November that we've seen before. They were red hot, 15 games in a row with at least a point. Unbelievable point scoring streak by Mitch Marner. Back-to-back shoutouts from your goalies. Tremendous performances from young defensemen. Overcoming adversity. And then they hit the ruts with two losses in a row. But still, Keith, I think we've seen Toronto throw down the gauntlet and say, despite our poor start to the season, and it was a poor start to the season, we're going to be a team to be reckoned with. Oh, 100%. I mean, I look at their, I look at where they are in the standings, and we know Boston still just playing unbelievable hockey. New Jersey's hit a tiny rough patch, but for, for a solid month, it looked like New Jersey nor Boston could lose. And I look at the Leafs, the Leafs have the same point total. New Jersey's got a game in hand, but the Leafs got have the same point total as the Devils right now. 44 points. I think they're they're only six points behind the Bruins. And I any other season, you know, 44 points in the East. I, I mean, we'd be talking about the Leafs having this, and, and they are having a, a wonderful season. Yeah, they're gonna lose a couple of games. I watched that game the other night. Uh, uh, when they played the Rangers and the Rangers, you know, that was a really, you know, that was a one goal hockey game. The Leafs didn't play their best yeah. hockey, but it was a one goal hockey game and they had an empty netter, obviously. And uh, the Leafs, uh, they looked at, for large stretches of that game, you know, they looked like they outplayed the Rangers. Sometimes a streak is going to be snapped, you know, sometimes a streak just gets snapped. I mean, 15 game streak with a point. In, in an NHL that, you know, as, as we all say, they, the other guys get paid too, right? I mean, that's an incredible, incredible streak. So, I yeah. mean, you know. And I, fashioned I, you know. with the, the heart of their defense uh, sideline. Morgan Riley out for a couple of months. Uh, TJ Brody out for a few weeks. Yeah. Jake Muzzin out indefinitely. Jordy yeah. Ben 
Uh, they're an eighth defenseman. He was lost to to for, to service for a while. And uh, the young guns, Timothy Lilgren and Rasmus Sandin, stepped up and ate those minutes. And no one ate more minutes than Mark Giordano uh, until TJ Brody came back. Uh, the fact that the Leafs were able to rely on those two young guys is a point I want to underscore, Keith, because there's so much talk about the Leafs not developing their draft picks. Like It seems like every time I hear this conversation, uh, they're not thinking. Because did they not draft Rasmus Sandin in the first round? Yes, yes they, they did. did. Did they not draft Timothy Lilgren in the first round? Yes, they did. Are they not playing frontline minutes for the big team now? Yes, they are. So what more can you ask of an organization than to develop not one, but two top-pairing defensemen who are playing big minutes in the NHL? Like that, to me, speaks to your... Are you going to hit on every draft pick you make? No. But when you can put two NHL-caliber defensemen on the ice from your draft, that's pretty good drafting, and it's pretty good development. So let's stop this talk about the Leafs not being able to develop players uh, throughout the organization because it's clear that they can do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just impressed that the Leafs just defensively and goaltending, we'll get to goaltending, but defensively, they just didn't seem to miss a beat. Like, I, I don't understand how that can be done. I mean, bringing guys up from the Marlies and these guys are just, you know, just jumping in and and especially in the pressure cooker that is Toronto. And as we've said before, you know, it might be only a kilometer and a half from, you know, from what is it? The Coca-Cola center where the, yeah. um, where the Marlies play to the Rogers center where the, the Leafs play, but it is light years, light years away. Uh, especially with the, you know, the fans of this city and to play in that, pressure cooker and just seemed to be able to step up there there's a couple of days i had to look and go who's this guy timmins who's this guy you know and and there here he is and playing what what's what's shocking not shocking me but playing you know in the crucial you know last two three minutes of games you know that that's what was impressing me was well, that's good work by your advanced scouts who were able to get him uh, with a minor league deal, which what looked like a minor league deal until he had to step into the lineup because of the injuries to their defensemen. But the, their scouts were, were on him and they saw something in him, as did a lot of people a few years ago when he was also a first round. I think he was a first round pick by, was it Arizona, if I'm not mistaken? I think it was Arizona. Bottom line is, this is a guy who, when he was playing his last year of junior, was considered on par with a guy like Kale McCarr. So you, you don't lose your talent. You may not nurture your talent, but you don't lose it. And clearly injuries were a factor for him. As if you go back and look at his history, the guy's dealt with a lot of injuries to start his career. But there is something there. He's a big, solid, really good skating, really good first pass guy. And uh, he's getting a bit of a run with the with the Maple Leafs. And he's shown that he can be a factor on, on the uh, defensive uh, lineup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh yeah, def you know what I, I've seen offensively, there are some like real, real flashes with him. You know, like he can really, you know, puck moving defenseman, check. That's him. I, I have seen a couple of times in the last few games that, you know, that he he tends to he can turn it over. 
you know, at your own blue line, trying to make maybe too fine a pass, you know, but you know, like you see him in the mobile, uh, you know, I, I actually like, he's got a little bit of a swashbuckler. It looks like, uh, like that he is going to try and make a play. He's going to try and do something on the ice. And I, that's what impressed me that he was playing at the end of the game, at the end of games, because I did see him, you know, like I said, I saw him make, you know, some turnovers, you know, he's playing, but he's, he's getting his 17 minutes and, you know, and with, with 17 minutes of ice time, you are going to be playing at the end of games. So yeah, very impressive. One of the things that's been very apparent about this leave team is uh, it's not just their defense guys who have stepped up to the plate, but overall team wise, their commitment to making sure their gaps are tight, uh, being responsible defensively pressure back up the ice uh that part of their game seems to have hit a more consistent level like you saw that from them here and there you know but now it seems to be this there's a brand of hockey that this team wants to play and it's all buy-in from everybody on the team everyone's back checking you're seeing the centers sure matthews Tavares, um uh Pontus Holmberg, who's made an impact coming up from the Marlies, uh, come back and be below the goal line, helping out the defensemen, blocking shots in the middle of the middle of the ice. They're just an overall commitment to team play that was there before, but maybe not to the same consistent level. And if you get a team that's as talent laden as the Leafs playing that hard brand of hockey, well, you find yourself in games that are close you find yourself in games that for some teams are uncomfortable you find yourself not losing a game by more than a goal until this past weekend throughout the entirety of the season that's the type of hockey this leaf team is playing and here's the other thing about this keith even through this hot stretch throughout the last six weeks i don't think this team has played their best hockey yet there seems to be another level that the maple leafs can reach and uh Boy, I'll tell you, if that's the case, then maybe this is the year when things change for the Leafs and they come out and have that great uh, run through the playoffs. I know there's 50 games left in the season, but there's a different tone to the way the Leafs are playing this year. And I think that, that will, what we're seeing now will speak well in the coming months throughout this season and even more so when April rolls around. Well, I don't know when I've seen the Leafs perform this well def- uh, defensively. I mean, and you mentioned, uh, even to a, a guy like me, who I consider a layman, I can see what, what you were saying, you know, Matthews deeper, you know, starting to play deeper, checking, back checking more. Uh, Marner all over the ice defensively. And it, it shows, and it shows in the stats, like only in the East, only New Jersey and the Bruins have have allowed less goals than the Maple Leafs. That's incredible to me. Only New Jersey and the Bruins have allowed less goals than the Maple Leafs. And I think New Jersey's got a game in hand, and I and I think it's only one goal of a differential. You know, so actually, you know, and actually I think, it's the other way. It's the other way. It's the other way around. Toronto has a game in hand on New Jersey, but you're right about the fact that yeah. they're separated by one goal in the goals. By one goal. Department. And I think in, in the West, it's only Winnipeg that is allowed less goals in the Leafs. I mean, you know, that's maybe that is the formula 
and you said there's buy-in, maybe that's the formula that these guys are going to use to ride into the playoffs. I mean, their run over the, you know, call it the wipe out the last two games, their run over the last 15 games, been an incredible run. And I think if you're doing it with defense, you can get on another incredible run. If defense is, you know, if it's backed up by defense, you know, like no night in, night out, allowing uh, one or two well, goals. Yeah, well, you say backed up. Um, what's been backing up the Leafs' effort throughout this and the entirety of this season, not just the run, has been the goaltending. Eric Schalgren came in and helped out when the two starters were. And I'm saying two starters because the Leafs have two starters now uh, were injured. Matt Murray came back from injury and hit the ice running. Ilya Samsonov came back from injury and hit the ice running. The Leaf tandem has been nothing short of magnificent to this point in the season. And I've got to say this, Keith. Remember how we talked about Brad Tree Living, the GM of the Flames, being the executive of the year? Well, if this goaltending duo stands up, I'm going to give that award to Kyle Dubas because he tied his... He tied his future to these goaltenders. And if they keep performing the way they have throughout this point to this point in the season, well, that's that's the best move I've seen ever. Without question. Oh, yeah. Hey, the Leafs have a 918 save percentage as a team. Yeah. A team save percentage. And that's with Eric Schalgren having a below yeah. 900 save percentage. Yeah, that includes Schalgren, right? With yeah. the, you know, uh, playing in 10 games. That includes him. You know, and, you know, Samsonov, I mean, hey, I, I don't think you could have asked for what, uh, you know, what he's provided you. Like, this is more than you could have asked for for Samsonov. And I know at the beginning of the season, he was, yeah, there were two starters, but he was viewed as the 1B. I think now there's co-number ones with Matt Murray, him and I think they're, well, I guess 1A and 1B is always co-number ones, but he was 1B. I mean, you know, other than throw out that... Uh, Capitals game, his uh, homecoming. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been, the guy has been stellar. Absolutely stellar. And I think with those, with, you know, that's the thing, right? With the, with those two backing you up, Murray and Samsonov, you know, just, you can just see it. The team is confident, you know, very confident. And not just the numbers, they've come up with the big save and the timely save, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the goaltending has been uh, so solid for the Leafs. Uh, it's the kind of thing where when they when they do have a breakdown defensively, the goalie is there to make the save. And that's all that they can ask. And that's pretty much what uh, Sheldon Keefe said a couple of days ago in his post-game press conference. You know, we're, we're playing tight defensively. We're being consistent with our gaps. And when there is a bit of a breakdown or their team does push back, because there's always pushback in hockey, the goalies have stood tall in their crease. Um are we surprised at this? I think to a certain extent, how could you not be? The, the, the recent history of both of these guys it isn't great. Uh, less so with the, in, in the case of Samsonov because uh, his performances. Well, look, I'll give you an example for Samsonov. He just played his 100th game a couple of years ago, his 100th NHL game. His record is 60-41 and uh, or 60-41. and 41. In, in, in his first 101 games. That's not a bad record. That's a pretty darn good winning percentage. But he has not been consistently winning in that time. So maybe he just needs a change of environment. 
And that's been what Toronto has provided him. And also a bit of motivation because he's on a one-year contract. So he's got that uh, to push him to greater heights. And with Matt Murray, we knew about the the stumbles he's had in Ottawa and the injury trouble and just the lack of performance yeah. over the last few years. But once again, a high-pedigree goalie who just needed that bit of motivation. You're coming into Toronto where there is no leeway. You're coming into Toronto where there's always pressure. You're coming into Toronto where all eyes are on you. And he's found a way to take all of that and just shrug it off and play outstanding hockey in the in the Maple Leaf net. So you got Samsonov going. You've got Murray going. Uh, it's the kind of thing that does make you feel like this year is going to be a little bit different for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's funny you talk about the Toronto pressure. I mean, Samsonov has been amazing at home. He has played just his best hockey, you know. It is, has he lost at home? I know his goal, his goals against average is, what, near one? I don't one? think so. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. You know? So a smart, a smart guy with his one-year deal. Like, the fans will be clamoring for him to be re-signed. You know, they, they don't see the guy well, lose. So, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's he's doing the Freddie V, right? Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. He's done that. And he may, he, may, he may turn this into a big contract come the offseason. So hopefully it'll be in Toronto if he continues to play like this. But So, you know, they, you said they didn't have the great start. They had the great November into, you know, early December, almost mid-December. Um, you know, is it still... Still, the bottom line is the bottom line with you for the Leafs? Well, sure. But as I always said, you, in order to get to that bottom line, meaning advancement in the playoffs, you have to put performances together in the regular season. So I, I never, never discount the regular season. Um, but yeah, I still think the ultimate success is the only thing that matters to this team. Not winning the first round, not winning the second round. That's for podcasters and analysts and media types to say, oh, you know, they made it out of the first round. That's great. No, that's not what the organization is here for. Every year, if you're a professional athlete, you want to win your last game. And those who win their last game, you know what they get? A championship. That's what the Leafs are here <laughs> for. They're not looking to win game seven in the first round. They're not looking to win game six in the second round. They're looking to win four wins in the final round because that means they won their last game. And that, to me, is the only thing that matters. Yeah, I want to see success in the regular season because that's how you breed good habits and build your confidence for the postseason. So to answer your question, I mean, in a long-winded way, now I've made it in an abrupt way, yeah, the ultimate goal, the Stanley Cup, is the only thing that matters for this team. Okay. I mean, hey, so what, what do you think of the, the this other Toronto team? If we take a look at the, the Leafs. What do you think of the Raptors as we look back at them? And, you know, I don't, with the Raptors, I don't think we have the same sort of bottom line as with the Maple Leafs. But, you know, we're looking at their season. They've had a season that's injury-filled. Uh, it's never an excuse, but it's the reality. They've had an injury-filled uh, first 30 games or so. And what do you see, um, the things that you looked at and your, expect, your expectations at the beginning of the season, and where do you see them going forward? I think that uh, 
The injuries have been a massive factor for the Raptors. They have not put the same starting lineup in back-to-back games more than what? two Twice this season, I think they've gone with the same starting lineup in back-to-back games. That is a factor. Um, I think Scotty Barnes coming into the season obviously hobbled. That's been a factor. And once again, uh, you know, if you don't have the players who you need to rely on in moments that they need to be relied upon, then you're going to lose a majority of your games. And that's what's happened to the Raptors. It's caught up with them. So, yeah, I look at this, what have we had, the 30-some-odd game mark now. And um, they're in a rut right now because of injuries, because of poor play, because of poor defense. Shooting has come to the fore once again for this team. Um, If they're not pushing the ball and getting turnovers, they're not winning that battle. They're in a rut. So right now things don't look good. But I say this, get me that full lineup together. Give me a good run with them, and we've got a playoff team. No question about that. You put OG, Scotty, Pascal, Fred, and whoever out there, that to me is a playoff team. I think they know that. I think the rest of the league knows that. It's just they have to get through this period where they're missing key pieces. And I didn't even mention the fact that Otto Porter, a key pickup for his defensive abilities and shooting ability, has not played more than eight games to this point in the season and won't be back for a fair bit of time with that dislocated toe. So, yeah, the injuries have derailed this season. The question is, the more important question is, what do the Raptors do about this? Do they prognosticate and look forward and say, okay, we're going to get this guy back then, this guy back then, another guy back, and we'll be able to, we know what we have with these people. We'll be able to go on a run. Or do they say, this year just isn't it? This is not it. And do they just say, let's just coast. Let's just take it easy. Let's not stress. We'll win the games we can. And if we can't, so be it. And get into that lottery. If, you're, if ever there was a year to do that, this would be the year. But is that the Raptor way? I don't think so. And I think that because the injuries that they these players have suffered, the OGs, the Otto Porter, the Precious Achuas, uh, you know, they're not season-ending injuries. They have to look to the fact that they know they have a, a quality squad and that playoffs are definitely within their right, if not their sights right now. Well. You know what? I I looked at the took a peek at the standings and well, the standings are what they it's are. Early. Based on I mean, how the Raptors have played to this point. There, oh yeah, there's no there's no sugarcoating that. Well, the step, but here's the thing: is the standings actually leave me a little optimistic. They're they're within four and a half games of sixth place, four and a half games, and you've got you know fifty games left in the season. So if you get all the guys back. And actually start playing more defensive-oriented basketball. That might seem that seems to give me more pause than their injuries at this point, because there have been times, as we said at the beginning of the season, where the Raptors have had significant players out of the lineup. And it always seemed like they still played the same brand of Raptors basketball, defense first, get out and run. And to be honest, you know, I'm seeing the lack and the lacking in their defensive play. And that that worries me more because I expect, I fully expected guys to be injured. Hey, when OG was on his magnificent run 
you know, leading the team in scoring, leading the league in stealing, which in steals, which he still does. And I was just like, look at this guy play. He's going to hit his, he's going to fulfill his potential. But I knew the back of me was like, he's going to get injured. <laughs> and he is injured. <laughs> but you cursed he, him again. Hey, his history. <laughs> His history yeah. suggests he's going – here's a guy who's been injured in both of his collegiate years and in every pro year he's had – he's missed significant time due to mm -hmm. injury. So him being injured wasn't shocked. Um, but I, I, I'll say and since he's been out of the lineup, I guess, the last four games, um, you know, it seems like the Raptors' defense has been regressing. And all of a sudden, it looks like their length isn't quite as long. It doesn't look like they're bothering people quite as much. They're, you know, they're, you know, it's a miss, make or miss league. You you go on runs, but it seems like these runs are prolonged against them at times, and that's what's concerning me. Because when your defense is tight and you're playing a great defensive game, you know, you just don't seem to. You seem to be in every game. You know, maybe you lose, but maybe you lose by two or three. But the Raptors seem to be you know, allowing 120 points a game and that's, you know, 125 points a game. That's what scares me as a, as a Raptors yeah, fan. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not at that point yet personally, because I, as we talked about, the injuries are a big factor and they have not had their full squad in any, any game to this point in the season. So I'm just, like I say, January can't come soon enough because at that point in the season, they'll be getting towards a full lineup. Guys will be, coming off the injured list, and then we can see where this Raptor team is. I think by the All-Star break, we'll have a really good indication as to just what kind of squad we're going to have this year. And I'm optimistic about the type of squad we're going to have. I don't think you can have a team that has a healthy Scotty Barnes, a healthy Pascal Siakam, a healthy OG Ananobi, and a healthy Otto Porter and not be a great defensive team, which the Raptors will get back to uh, once they're healthy. But they got to find a way, Keith, to tread water until that point. And they're not right now. Right now, they're heavily underwater, getting hammered by teams who have really have no business beating the Raptors by 20 and 30 points, man. That's just as, you know, it's, it's, it seems like the Raptors have run into a situation where they're letting their lack of offensive productivity dictate their effort on defense. I don't care who's in your lineup. You still have an ability to play hard. And at times, the Raptors have looked like they're not playing hard. And that, to me, that might be a problem. Because maybe they're getting a little frustrated with the guys not being in the lineup. Maybe they're getting a fr little frustrated with their own lack of performance. Maybe they're getting frustrated with the refs. Well, you know what? You're a professional basketball player. You're supposed to be able to deal with your frustrations in a professional manner. Play hard. Be committed on the defensive end of the court. Are you scoring enough? No. But you sure as hell can stop teams from scoring if you play hard enough. And they're just not doing that right now. I can't excuse that. But I will say this, as I've said before, I understand what's going on with this team. And I know that when they get healthy, they're going to be hell to deal with. Yeah, see, that's, that's, again, that's what worries me. Because I've seen them in the past not be healthy but yet still take care of things on the defensive end. And that's what's most concerning to me. Um, have, you know, you, like have you seen them you be mentioned. this not healthy, though? 
Like they've got significant guys um, out for significant stretches. You're talking about losing OG. Yeah, You're I, talking about when was the last time you saw Precious? How much time did Siakam miss? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. significant time too. So that's to me is what causes the problem. Because if you don't have that consistency with a – and they don't have any consistency with their lineup. And that was where, and that is where but it I, hurts you defensively you, because you don't have that. You're not on the same string because this guy's come in now, and he not may he may not react as the guy that's supposed to be there. He may not react the way Scotty does. He may not react the way OG does. He may not react the way Pascal does. So you have to react a different way, and that causes a chain reaction of unreaction. And that's where to, that to me is where the they're just not connected. You know, the Raptors, the so Raptors have always me. been a team that's been able to be connected on defense, and right now they're not. And I really believe that that's because they're missing the time together as a team, which is one of the things that should have been their calling card this season. They didn't make any changes other than that auto porter, really. But now they don't have that connectivity. And that to me is that's the problem, Keith. That's why you're seeing, that's why you're seeing them not be as defensively formidable despite these guys coming out of the lamp. They don't have that connectivity. So you asked me if I've seen them miss this significant amount of time, and I have. I've seen Freddie, uh, I could tell you, last last February after the All-Star game, I've seen Freddie out for significant amounts of time. I've seen OG out for significant amounts of time. I've seen Pascal out. And that's what that's what worries me. As I but keep saying, but have you saying. seen all three out at the same time? Yeah, that's I have. What I'm saying. I have. No, no, no. When I have when? seen them all at, out at the same when? time for significant amounts of time. For significant amounts no, of time. No, no. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, that, no. I have nope. seen them. Go that's back never and never happened. Go back and check I, post All Star game when Freddie was in. I, he's playing one game. He's out the next game. He's playing right, one game. He's out Pascal the next game. Pascal in that game was not Pascal playing. Pascal was in and out, and OG no, was, was out. Not. After the All-Star break? No, he check, wasn't. Check your, check your schedules, because you, I've no, seen you, no, it oh, before. Wait, no, no. Hang on a sec. You put that out there, so you need to check that and prove it to me, because I know for a fact that he wasn't out after the All-Star break. I will. I don't need you to check what? it. You, you're saying that he was? Prove, you prove it to me. I will easily prove, prove it, it to me. you. But that's that's the thing that worries me the most, as I've said. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? I I should have had that backed up before I said it because uh, yeah, you should. I'm, I'm having wrong. I'm having an uh, dead right, <laughs> but I'm having uh, connectivity problems, so <laughs> I can't look it up at the moment. <laughs> Timely. I'm anyway, having we'll, connectivity we'll that. problems. You know what? Hey, remember this, and we'll reserve that for the next podcast. Of course. The bottom line is, Keith, their lack of performance on the defensive end and their lack of performance on the offensive end has led to one thing, a lack of performance overall. They are not playing good basketball. And, uh, you know, Nick Nurse is going to have to dig deep into his bag, which leads me to the next segment in our Raptor portion of this podcast. Do you think Nick Nurse is in danger of being called out on his job he's done with the Raptors. That's funny that you said called out. Um, I didn't say get fired or anything. I know, I said I know. called out. I know, yeah. that's what I'm saying yeah. because I don't even think there's a question that people will talk about firing him. But no, I don't think he is. I think he's got a lot of grace. The Toronto media really, really likes him. I think mm-hmm. they understand 
um, you know, the situation. And I think, you know, a championship in Toronto buys you some grace, unless your name is Cito Gaston with the media. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, yeah, I think he's bought himself some grace because I don't hear any rumblings about Nick Nurse Not, right now. Nothing. Nothing. Si Could you imagine if the, the Leafs or the Jays, Oh yeah! Even the Argos were going through what the Raptors are going through in the early part of this season. They would be getting the coaches would be gone. Yeah, no well, we, question. We they saw it with the we saw it with the Jays in this this past season, right? You know Ex exactly. We saw it with that. So so yeah, no. Yeah. Um, he's he's bought himself a lot of grace, uh, whether it be winning, whether it be you know um, his. I, I won't say acknowledge. I, I don't say acknowledged genius might be a little too much, but that's the way he's viewed by the fans, the media. You you, you don't hear any fans calling in, crying for Nick Nurse to be, uh, nope. I, I'm even saying examined or looked at. I mean, and I think with the injuries, um, it buys, you know, him grace uh, in being looked at as, you know, what's his system? Because his system is viewed as a winning one. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the players aren't there to execute is what is what most, I think, fans would say. And, I, and as I said, I don't hear anything from the media. So Okay, so let's, let's do a little bit of supposition here then. OG comes back. Precious comes back. Otto comes back. Uh, everyone's back healthy. Let's say it's uh, middle of January middle of January, end of January, and the team is still not playing well. Wow. At that point, do you look at Nick Nurse? Wow. Um, that's yeah. a, that's a, a heavy one. Personally, I mean, I still would give Nick Nurse a bit of grace. I believe that the organization – and you know what? It's funny because we've seen – you know, that, you know, they do, you know, they do what uh, Bobby Williams, they do what needs to be done to get this team better. But it, it would be a shock to me. Bobby Webster. Bob, sorry, I said Williams. Bobby Webster, yeah. you know, uh, Masai. They do what needs to be done. Like, they've made some, they've made some surprising moves in the past. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if Nick Nurse would be a move, and the funny thing is, again, it's like you're looking at Nick Nurse. My 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 answer always is, who do you go out and get? That's mm -hmm. the that's the issue, right? I mean, who do you get? And just removing a coach for me, it's never really been the it's never been the solution. If the coach, if the players, if the players are still um, he's still got the ear of the players, then I don't think removing a coach or even circulating the rumors about removing a coach are, are productive or positive. Yeah, you know what, Keith? I'm in full agreement with you, but I had to ask the question. And, uh, and uh, No, it's I'll a great question. Thing, I think it is something that needs to be discussed because I look at Nick Nurse as being among the very few coaches in the NBA who can make more with less. And the Raptors have had, that's been their calling card in many situations. They've never really had that elite, elite. Look, I, I know Pascal Siakam is an all NBA caliber player. No question about that. But we've never had an elite superstar that wasn't named Kawhi Leonard for more than one year. 
And look what he's done with this team in the years he's been here. He's made them, are they not in the top two or three winningest teams during his tenure in the NBA? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's what he's done. So he, it's not just the championship for me. It's the fact that he has impacted the very culture of the Raptor organization in a way that is, they're looked upon now as winners. They're looked upon as an organization. We want to come play for this team because they build us up. They get their players paid and eventually they challenge for championships. And that's what I still think they're building towards. Are they hobbled right now? Yes. Are they struggling right now? Yes. Is Nick Nurse looking haggard right now? Yes. Does that yeah. mean it's, that's the way it's going to be in the future? I don't think so. We just need to be patient. We need to remain solid behind this team, and we'll see what happens. Because I really do believe, and I said it before, once they get their full lineup back, there's going to be hell to pay from the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know what? I don't think I'm as confident as you are, and I'm hoping. You know you know how I said there are four and a half games out of six. I think you have to maintain contact with those positions. I mean, you really can't get played out of uh out of contention and then you hope can't get to, played out of the play-in is that what you're saying you can't get played out of the play-in yeah the play-in it's funny because the play-in too i mean you know you look at the history the short history of the play-in uh you know you, you don't make a lot of noise uh once you get into the play-in i mean it's so i mean i guess who was it uh memphis actually played pretty well and pushed golden state right yeah yeah and pushed golden state after the play-in but i mean you don't really make a lot of noise getting it getting to the play-in it's a hard road and you know the raptors for me the raptors have the talent to be you know i look at the the east and i'll say fifth or sixth there are some surprising teams brian that are that are worse than them but to me they have that talent so, I mean, you know, I just want them to stay within touch of the, you know, maybe the top six or seven. Yeah, I, you know, I think that they need to ma maintain contact and also have that as their goal. Forget the playing key. Let's look for top six. And I think they have the talent to do it once they get healthy. And on that note, I think it's time we wrap this up. It's uh, episode 10 of the Puck and Hoop podcast. We made it, Keith. Ten episodes in, man, and there's more to come. Episode 11 will be coming down the pipe. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say next, right? What are you going to say next? Don't you dare miss it. <laughs> Don't you dare miss it. <laughs> you got it. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIYP Narrowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puck and Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puck and Hoop Narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening. <laughs>